It's Rexy's musical podcast. If you've ever listened to this podcast, you've probably heard me talking about this occasionally burdensome compulsion I have about buying records and CDs. Burdensome only in the fact that occasionally I've had to move it all from one room to another or from one house to another. I suppose I could get rid of some of it, but that would just be crazy talk. One of the things I love about owning all this music isn't just the music itself, although that is the primary reason to have it. The other part is my deep appreciation for the artistic creativity involved in the packaging. And whether that be the liner notes, the printed lyrics, or the artwork on the cover, that's the stuff that I truly appreciate. You can't really get any of that stuff when you're downloading MP3s on your phone or from streaming music on your smart speaker. There's something slightly unsatisfying about not being able to hold on to something. Part of the experience is to lose yourself in the art because in a very real way, great artwork used to be every bit as engaging as some of the music that surrounded it. My guest today is the artist Ioannis. He's a guy who's designed more than 300 album covers, singles, posters, and other merchandise during his career. He's provided artwork for legendary bands like Led Zeppelin, Deep Purple, The Almond Brothers, Uriah Heep, Skinner, Blue Oyster Cult, Bon Jovi. I could literally go on for hours and we'd just be scratching at the surface of what Giannis has accomplished. On January 28th and 29th, Giannis will be putting some of his best originals on display at the Music Room Gallery in West Yarmouth, Massachusetts, right on Cape Cod. It's a great venue that will not only display some of his best work, there will also be musical performances by The Engine Room featuring Barry Goodrow from Boston and the Paul Nelson Band. This is my conversation with the insanely talented artist Ioannis on Baxi's Musical Podcast. Hey, how are you, mate? I'm very good. How are you? Pretty good. What's going on? Not too much. You're the, you're the busy one. The gallery show at the at the at the music room is pretty exciting stuff. Oh, uh, thanks. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's really cool. Tell me about uh, what you have planned. It's Friday and Saturday at the music room in in West Yarmouth on the Cape. I, everything I've read about it, and even on their website, it looks like a really cool venue, and it, and it sounds like like it's going to be a really fascinating show. Uh, yeah, they're um, uh, it, I, it's actually what they have is um, they have a permanent um, rock and roll art gallery that uh that they open when they first were going to launch the venue uh they approached me one of the owners or one of the partners is a a friend of mine uh, paul nelson i've known paul for close to 30 years um and paul uh, you know back when he was a guitar player in a heavy metal band (laughs) you know and then paul went on uh later transition and he became uh, the second guitar player for Johnny Winter's band and then he became also Johnny Winter's manager and then Paul now is a Grammy winning producer and guitar player and everything and you know with Johnny so anyways he told me about the place and he said uh, man I'd love you if you you know you if I can have some of your work up at my place and I said hmm. well yeah I'm not crazy about you know my stuff in the club or whatever I mean I mean it's nice thank you he says, no, 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 because this is not a club. This is really a, a really new concept. So he explained it to me, and basically it's a, you know, it's, it's a venue. Um, it's also a recording studio that they do, but, you know, it, it's basically, you know, you walk in, and it's, a, you know, it's a full bar, 
and uh, to you know when tapas and wine and you know it's a very high end clientele they bring in top of the line music acts um you know like samantha fish you know that you know mm -hmm. that type of blues stuff and they perform and then and then so it's a big facility and then joined to it you know you have to you walk in you walk in the the other door which is right there they have a full they have a gallery set up and they have some amazing stuff that they're collecting so you walk in and there's like you know Johnny Winter's guitars, and uh, he's the he's got the guy's a big Boston fan, so he's got the piano that Brad Dell wrote his songs on, actual one. Plus he's and having it's right, and plus he's having right, Barry. right, yeah, yeah, right in the yeah, right in the middle <laughs> of the place, and he's got Sid Hassian's drum set from Boston in there oh, wow. set up, and uh, there's you know photography, uh, famous photography from uh, you know. Uh, uh, tours of Jimi Hendrix and so on and there's a lot of rock memorabilia and art so but they're a full art gallery but only only for rock and roll uh and so they told me you know they want to be my my representatives in New England um you know for my work and uh, I agreed so I allowed them and they sell sell my work which is primarily uh sell my sign prints which are my Led Zeppelin prints and my artwork for the Allman Brothers and my artwork for Uriah Heep, uh, Deep Purple, I think. Uh, yeah, uh, the, just some of the stuff. So, um, and then, I, you know, so the whole idea was, you know, doing that, we got to do massive launches and they wanted me to do like three or four shows a year up there because they have such a big crowd. Of course, COVID hit and everything went down the toilet uh, because of all that. So it took us, it was an actual, you know, launch 2019. Uh, it took all this time to finally get it. Now, you know, they're, they're full throttle. They're doing it. Uh, and um, they slotted us to do it. So, so what we're doing is we're playing Friday night. We're playing, uh, I'm playing Friday night, Saturday night. So what it is, I, I, I at six o'clock uh, is my show uh, to eight. At eight o'clock, it's Barry Goudreau's band from Boston, uh, Engine Room. <clears throat> and then Saturday night, it's me again. At eight o'clock, it's Paul Nelson's band. Uh, both nights are close to sell out. Um, so what's going to happen is, you know, I'll get on stage. Uh, there will be a, a, a video presentation of some of my work. Then I will talk about my, my, my you know, my, my music industry experience. And then I'll be able to meet the fans and they see some of my artwork and so on. Uh, what makes it unique both nights is on the first night, um, I'm going to... Uh, uh, the, the second night it was for Paul because uh, he's worked with Warren Haynes and uh, the Owen Brothers and everything. I'm going to do show. People will be able to see the original Omen Brothers cover artwork just for that one night. They'll come in to see the original painting that I did. Uh, they can see what it looks like, and uh, you know, and there'll be a lot of that stuff. But Friday night, which is really kind of sanguine for me, kind of a neat little going down memory lane is artwork that I had created for Boston when I was 19 years old that never got done. Really? And, and even Barry wanted to see it because he never got to see it. And it, it was, it was, it was, you know, I was just starting my career and, uh, and it's just the way this whole thing freaking happened. Good God. Um, <laughs> of course, it's, it's always say. Um, and, and, and this is neat, and that's a neat little story how this whole thing occurred. Because 
you know, there have been some, you know, successes in my life and near misses and things that should have, could have, would have, <laughs> could have, it didn't. I mean, you know, for all the bands and things that are created, there's so many near misses, you know, that I almost did work for, like Black Sabbath, Judas <laughs> Priest, Yes, um, Emerson Lake and Palmer. Right. I, you know, I mean... So you know. when when you talk about the the near misses, are are there are there reasons for that, or were they just you know wanted to go? It's just it's just the way things happen. Sometimes it, it it's never done till it's done, <laughs> because a million things could go wrong, and uh, it's it's not something that's unique to me. It's uh it it it's friends of mine that I speak to, uh you know contemporaries we all deal with it because a million things could go wrong from the, you're always excited when you get the commission and it usually comes either somebody in the band has seen your work and they're a fan or it's the manager or it's the record label, but it's much nicer when it's the band calling you because you know, they're fans of your work. So you go in there and you get started and that's when the roller coaster starts. <laughs> uh, sometimes it's a smooth transition where you know, you're, you're changing and it gets done. Other times, the, I, you can, you, if you've done it long enough, you realize that you walk into a snake pit because there's sometimes you be in a situation where there are so many people pulling and pulling and so many situations going on that you're affected. I mean, producers go through the same thing. So you're sitting there and you're having a discussion and the manager wants, has one idea and the band members has some another idea and the record company has another idea. And the guy who gets wiped out, gets caught in the sharp mill is you, you know, because, <laughs> you know, I, I've done, I've been down when you were down to the 11th hour, it's completed. And the girlfriend of the guitar player who's high <laughs> as a kite decides that her favorite color is purple. And she wanted purple on the, as a sky, which does not fit the concept of what we're doing. And he's arguing for his girlfriend and the band member, the rest of the band members don't want to get into a fight with their own guy. So they won't argue. And the manager and the record label is, and they're all arguing. <laughs> and they're trying to tell me, and I'm telling me, I don't know how I'm supposed to do it. And at one point, the record label steps and goes, time's up. It's over. We're taking care of the cover. We're done. Johannes, by the way, I'm sorry. Thank you. Here's your money. <laughs> and art director and the art director of the record label is going to do it. Hey, and you guys time's up you lost your chance to to pick the cover you want you know every time i see a photograph on a record cover for a band album cover usually tells me the band screwed things up they ran out of time <laughs> the record label's like throw a picture on the photograph of the band that covers get out of here you know it, it, it's funny i've done i've done an, an, enough interviews to know that uh in in many ways the movie spinal tap is very accurate and uh, oh, oh, absolutely! And and and, 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 and in fact, there are many bands that smell the have, glove, baby, smell have, the glove. That have right, smell the glove. They have watched that movie and felt very embarrassed because they can see themselves in those. Oh, yeah. in those moments. I can name you three bands who thought the movie was about them. <laughs> <laughs> Major league bands right. that said, "Oh my God, they're doing us." <laughs> you know, uh, I mean, because what they did, because they're, they're fans of the genre, what they did is a collection of real stories. Those were actual stories, <laughs> right, that actually happened to people in bands, and they put that together. I mean, obviously, the, 
the, the, the biggest one I can reference to you, which is completely true, was the story about, you know, where they could not locate the stage? <laughs> they were lost. The yeah, they were lost behind stage in okay. Cleveland. Yeah. Okay, that was Black Sabbath. It happened to <laughs> Ozzy. Ozzy got lost, and he wound up outside the, um, outside the venue and locked himself out. The bands get up to get on stage. Nobody could find Ozzy. No one knows what's going on. And what happened is Ozzy's locked out outside the stadium, running around outside, trying to figure out how to get back inside. And he didn't have a ticket to get in. <laughs> no, God, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Stonehenge was, uh, it was, again, it was uh, Ian Gillen with Black Sabbath. But mm. the story was in reverse. They made it too big. And so when they built it, they, they couldn't get it. They opened up opening night, so they couldn't get it inside the, the arena to put up the props, <laughs> you know? <laughs> it was, it, it's just unbelievable. I interviewed Alan White many years ago from, from Yes, the drummer. And he, he, great guy, great guy. He, really cool guy, and he, and he was talking about how that that scene where where Harry Shearer is locked up in the in that pod and unable to to get out until the end of the that <laughs> That's act, right. that That's happened right. that happened to Alan White. He was his yep. he was playing yep. drums in a pod and inside that pod it was like you know 180 degrees and the poor guy's practically ready to pass out before they finally open it up with with uh, like a like a shovel. Roger Dean uh, had created these fiberglass pods for the stage to set. Yeah, right. And you know. I mean, people made up as they went along back then, and all the props would go wrong. <laughs> Everything, you, know. you you mentioned Roger Dean, and you and, and you also talked about some of the other bands that you work with. Yes, would be one of them where their albums are so associated with a certain artist or a certain look. You know, Roger Dean certainly had you know a certain style. Emerson Lake and Palmer, they they had you know brain salad surgery had the H.R. Uh, Geiger uh, you know painting, which some of his work is amazing, and even Boston, you know, just the iconic guitar yeah, space Heisen, yeah, yeah, yeah i mean it's to be put in the same category as 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 those guys and i think you know rock fans classic rock fans in particular look at those guys as as real rock art heavyweights it's got to be kind of kind of either satisfying or humbling a little bit because i mean when people think of great album covers over the last 50 years they're thinking of those guys and those bands are thinking of you that's interesting uh it, it's uh it, well, look, the two biggest, the two people who influenced me in album design more than anybody, period. Uh, and one was, of course, it, 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 it beyond obvious, Roger Dean was a huge influence on me. Back, I mean, when I was 13 years old, you know, buying, you know, seeing his art. I didn't even know who that was. It's just, I was just so blown away. The second people who influenced me, my development as an art director and a designer, um, was Storm Ferguson and Hypnosis. Mm. Uh, and as a point of reference, Storm are the guys. Hypnosis, are the Storm is the guy who created all the Pink Floyd record covers, Houses of the Holy by Led Zeppelin, Lamb Lies Down on Broadway, Yes, Going for the One, Black Sabbath, Technolectasy, blah, blah, blah. They're probably the most incredible uh, album cover design group that ever existed. And they all made up as they went along. Um, mm meeting a lot of these guys, friends with them. Um, I just lost somebody real close to me for 35 years, which is my friend, Nick Rock, mm, which right. I was humbled 
just, you know, us collaborating and being friends, working together. I mean, talking about David Bowie and Queen and how those covers were done. And I, it was just incredible. But it was, uh, no, I mean, man, I just, uh, it's just a Greek kid, just uh, daydreamed <laughs> over in my uncle's diner and daydreamed about doing a record cover art. And then, yeah, I was just another another guy out there and just, so is that how it, it, it really started? You wanted to do album covers or, were, or are you looking to go into some other no, I just, route? Uh, I drew, I drew back as, uh, I drew back as far back as I could remember when I was little. Um, I grew up, uh, I was born in Athens, Greece. We uh, emigrated to the United States in the late sixties. My parents, when I was very little. Uh, there was an overthrow of the Greek government. My uncle Gus, uh, who had come to the U.S younger to to find work because a lot of the uh, greek greek young men left in the late after the second world war because europe is in shambles looking for work to support themselves it was famine it was a disaster so they left uh he was 18 years old and he went to canada him and my uncle george and then from canada to the u.s you know to find work and they started, and then there was an overthrow of the Greek government, and my mom panics because she thought it was going to happen all over again. And so, you know, my dad packed up my mom and Uncle Gus sponsored us, and we emigrated to the United States. We came into uh, into Connecticut, and um, so you know, I I came in here, and for me it was it was a things I never seen. It was an amazing place, you know, completely swallowed up American comic books and. Saturday morning cartoons and Johnny Quest and <laughs> Spider-Man and, and Batman and all that stuff. And uh, of course, you know, then it was the monkeys and the Partridge family. Yep. yep. <laughs> you know, and music and listening to that and went to school. And then uh, man, my parents decided to return back to Greece. And they, they sent me back. I went back to Greece and went a couple of years there in, in school, that's 73, 74. And then they returned back and they brought me back for good. Uh, they, we came back here. But while I was there, uh, I was turning you know, 13, 14 years old and uh, discovered, I mean, of course, like everybody else, started listening to rock and roll and the big bands, uh, you know, in Europe at the time was Deep Purple, Led Zeppelin, T-Rex, Uriah Heep. I remember distinctively, um, you know, that Christmas Eve, my, uh, I was living with my aunt and uncle. My, my parents were making preparations. So my uncle said to me, I, I, I don't understand any of this music you listen to or any of this stuff. <laughs> you know, you know, you know like us Greek kids. So uh, listen, just some money, Merry Christmas, and go buy yourself uh, those records, all those uh, crazy long hair band people you listen to. And of course, I went you know, down to the local to the local record store, you know, down to you know, Spiro's uh, record shack down there, you know. And uh, I bought two albums. They were the two biggest records that had just come out that year and one was machine head by deep purple mm. and the other one is your heap demons and wizards and i you know i put that stuff i, I was listening and i remember i was sitting there i'd listen to that and i'd be staring at that cover by roger dean i was just completely just blown away with it and i, I started making that 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 connection you know yeah. so fast forward now a couple of years later i'm in the u.s i'm in high school i'm, I'm drawing like crazy and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm like every other teenage kid. I'm listening to Queen now. And it's Queen and Aerosmith, and I'm just like a bomber and all that stuff. And you know, the talk of the day was either football or rock and roll. 
right? You know, and uh, and I'm working, you know, going to school, and on the weekends I'm working at, at the, at, you know, at the, at my uncle's diner, you know, cooking <laughs> some breakfast and doing ice cream and all that. Working late at night, and uh, I leave it's mid seventies, and uh, but I'm drawing and I'm daydreaming. Like this is what I want to do, and uh, and uh, the loves of thriving club scene in uh, New Haven, Connecticut. You know, which is Yale University is located. <clears throat> and uh, uh, one night, uh, Bobby Torello, who owns the nightclub uh, two two doors down from the place, came in about midnight. They run out of ice, and so you can get some more ice to borrow from us. And like, sure. And well, I'm giving him the ice to so, say, you know, your uncle told me you're a really good artist. Like. Yeah, 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 whatever. Yeah, hey, listen, <laughs> hey, listen I, 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 I need a poster. There's a band playing, you know, because they would book bands, you know, they play, you know, all the local, you know, rock and roll bands, driving rock scene, you know. Uh, Want to do one for me? I'll pay you for it. I was like, no, I thought, why? Sure, you know. It's like, no, it's not for free. I mean, it's real, you know. So went back and I drew it and brought it back a couple of days later and he looked at it. He's like, kid, this is really good, you know that? He's like, uh, I'm like, no, no, no. He gave me this money. I was like blown away. I was like, wow. It's like almost as much money as I got paid for my uncle that night. I was like, this is really kind of cool. Because I do some more of these. I'm like, yeah, yeah, sure. why not? So I started doing some stuff, and about that summer in '77, everybody knew this Greek kid who drew stuff, and all the everybody, all the clubs started talking about it, and. Uh, started getting artwork and the radio stations noticed the rock stations and I started doing artwork for the rock radio stations and my name started getting around and uh and I, I you know I was just going to now in my first year of college I was going to college but I was getting to know the, all these people and so on and uh, my biggest break came in um but one night was uh I'm sitting uh, at Toast Place in New Haven famous nightclub and uh I'm with the uh uh, station manager at the, at the time it was WHCN, it was one of the biggest classic rock stations. And the guy says to me, uh, you know, uh, you know, your stuff looks just like that guy does work for you. Yes. I said, oh my God, I said, what are you talking about? Roger Dean's my idol, he's the greatest guy ever. Goes, well, you know, he was the guy who's our radio programmer. Do you know who that is? Uh, I, I, just, I said, I don't know what a radio programmer is. But he goes, well, he's a radio consultant. He's a very powerful man in the music industry. His name is Lee Abrams. Oh, yeah. and, uh, so I said, uh, he goes, well, he's really good friends with Yes. He goes, uh, you know, you should send him your stuff. You never know. You may do a Yes cover. So, oh, God. You know, Roger Dean. And he goes, listen, man. He goes, send him your work. You never know. Um, he goes, here, here's an address. It's, uh, it's in Chicago. You know, so, send him. so I pick up all these little slides and I put them in an envelope and uh, of my work and a little letter I hand wrote and I mailed it out and to the loop in Chicago. And that was the end of that. It was a summer of uh, 1980, uh, it was July, and two weeks later, the home phone rings, and my mom, you know, her Greek accent, God bless her, picks it up and talks, and tells me some guy from Chicago wants to talk to me. I'm like, I don't know, I'm from Chicago? So I get on the phone, and I call, and I pick up, and it's Lee. And he says, you know, are you Johannes? I said, yeah, man. And he goes, uh, it was great. I, he goes, uh, this is fantastic work, man. I said, oh, wow, that'll be a thing to go say. Does you know Chris Squires? I'm like, oh, are you kidding me? I'm like, yeah, he's, he's a god. He, said, he goes, yeah, well, me and Chris have a production company called Honorable doing this album called Drama. 
uh, you know, yes. He goes, yeah. He goes, you know, Jayana Salafi, yes. No, we have a new band. I said, oh, really? I said, well, he goes, well, I, I don't need the cover. He goes, uh, Roger Dean's doing that. But we've got a production company. Uh, I need a logo. Want to do a logo for me and Chris Squire's company? I'm like, <laughs> yeah, that, wow, sure. He goes, yeah. He goes, no. Let me show you should yes. That'd be great. He goes, uh, I'll tell you what. He goes, uh, do the logo and uh, what are you doing August 4th? I'm like, uh, 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 he goes, we'll come to New York. I'm at the Park of Meridian, bring the logo. I like it, great. He goes, then we'll go to Mass Square Garden. Yes, playing that night, it was sold out. And, uh, you know, get to see the band and you know, have, full, have fun. I'm like, wow, you know? <laughs> and, and that was the beginning of it. It was, I, uh, logo i brought it down i showed it he was blown away he said to me i want you to do some more work for me some more local other radio stations and then it was rapid fire i uh i started i didn't want to do logos for rock radio stations it was fun i am mine i mean my my my, my heart was into you know i thought i wanted to be a at first i wanted to be a comp book artist I, I was doing that kind of artwork it's kind of stuff I was into but i started doing that but you know rock and roll comp books that kind of not much of a difference in my opinion so i thought why not uh i could you know i could do both why not and uh i did that and then the, within a year he introduced me eddie offered and they were producing this band called art in america and i did my first album cover for them i did my first mtv video where i got to do <laughs> animation and i flew their manager was steven tyler's attorney then there was the big switch he <clears throat> introduced me to lieber and krebs he brought me in, so I want to introduce you to this kid. It's really good. I worked for them. At the time, Lieber and Cripps in 82 were the largest management company, rock company in the country. They were managing at that moment. They were managing the Scorpions, ACDC, Ted Nugent, uh, Aerosmith, um, God, uh, Michael Shanker Group, um, Jump Jet, you, you name it. And I would walk in those offices, you know, and, you know, I'd be hanging out with any one of these guys. I'd been there any from Angus Young to, you know, and I'd been meeting and I was, I was just, you know, 19, 20, 21 years old. And I was just, and, and all these young managers were there in training. And the first guy who befriended me was this guy named Paul O'Neill. Paul uh, really liked my work and started me working with him and, he was telling me his ideas about he was going to create a band that was going to be rock and Broadway, and <laughs> that became the Trans Siberian Orchestra. I I knew Paul when he was uh, when he was alive. He was a an amazing guy. He was a, a fountain of uh, of knowledge, an incredible. I've never met anybody ever. I I miss him so much. Yeah. We uh, used to take me out. All the time to dinner and everything. I never had any money. And neither did he for that matter. He lived in a little tiny apartment in Queens. Uh, you know, one of 11 children. He was the right-hand person to helping David Krebs. That was his job. And he was uh, ACDC's road manager. That was his job. They assigned Paul different jobs. He'd be maybe producing an album. He may be road managing. It depends. And we have stuff. You know, his first band was called Heaven. So he let me do the cover. So I owe him one of my breaks. You know, um, and he's the one who introduced me to Mick Rock. Uh, I remember Mick walking in to show some art for the Scorpions and he said, who's that guy? And he said, I said, I, I, a guy with English accent. He goes, he goes, that's Mick Rock. I said, God, isn't that the guy the Queen? He goes, yeah, he goes, want to meet him? I'm like, yeah. And he introduced me to Mick and 
that's how it started. Yeah. My relationship with Nick Rock. A, a, a while back, I uh, interviewed uh, Bob Gruen, the uh, the photographer. Uh, great, guy. great Great guy. Great guy. And yeah, great guy. You know, it, it it's interesting to me because for him, much of what he would photograph was like really in the moment stuff. Real quick, you capture you know that moment and you hope you get the best one. With a with a guy like you, I mean, it it's it's not so much about immediacy. It's really about planning and knowing what the vision is for each individual artist and what everyone has for an idea. Do you, I mean, you, you talked about, you know, the influence of your know, record companies and people surrounding the band, but when, when a band comes to you and says, we have a, an album and we want to discuss what we want with it, what is that process where they talk to you and say, this is what we want out of an album cover or a poster, uh, you know, a, a, a concert program? Yeah, how involved do they get, or the, do they they kind of leave it up to a guy like you? Uh, I, I, it, it, there's all different ways. There's really no set way. But nine times out of ten, um, or most of the time, if they approach you, they approach you because they like what you're doing. Uh, so you're not a hired hand. They come to you because they've seen what you do and they 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 want that feel, that move, that 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 style, um, or that that attitude, and. Um, or they've heard of your reputation. It's like, you know, it's like a producer, you know, they, they know his work and they figure he can get the best out of them. You right. know? Um, and so they come to you and they, you know, they may have an idea or they don't, or they come to you for ideas. Um, and, you know, usually uh, the way the process is, is I would listen to their music and uh, the lyrics, what the title is, the approach, the mood that it sets. And the way I approach, my way I approach the album artwork, I'm a music fan first. So I approach it from the, the you know, which is, you know, Paul taught me that, which is actually what Paul was. You, he's a fan. So he approaches what a fan would like to see, what he would like to see. In other words, if he was going to go pay to see a band, what he thought would be cool, what would motivate him, <laughs> what would make him a fan, you know? And the guys who get, and, and it works. I mean, if you get that right, that is a very, very powerful motivator. Um, and I, and there, and that's the best way it works in its purest form. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll just listen to music and I'll think of it. And usually the image that I create in my mind, it's almost like their music is a soundtrack to the image that I create. And that, and that's the mental connection that I want to create. I want to create the feeling that I had when I was 13 or 14, where I would sit up in my bed and have my headphones on. And I'd be listening to the music and I'd be staring at the album cover art. That would make that, that connection. That was before the metaverse, <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. As a fan of music myself, it's like every time I see something that's that's either well packaged or has great artwork, you know, you really have to appreciate the 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 tactile sensation of holding on to art. You don't really get the same feeling from an MP3 or from a from streamed music, even though the art is there. It's not the same of, uh, as as losing yourself into it. I I remember as a kid, we talked about Yes and Roger Dean getting. Yes songs, which is like just a big, you know, triple live album, yeah. and it's yeah. one, you know, Roger Dean artwork after another, and there's a, you know, an inserted, uh, you know, booklet inside. It's like it was just like they they understood how important 
art was to their music. I mean, they're they're creating art, but they're embellishing it with visuals that I think a lot of fans really appreciate and may not get as much today as they as they used to. Oh no, I agree, and I think the the most important thing is is that um, I, I've had these debates with creative directors and corporate people in the music industry before, and. Um, and you know, I, I've had a, a guy, you know, stare at me down, a creative director, and said to me, "Listen, you know, don't get so fancy. You know, nothing, but as much effort goes into you doing a, a record cover and effort and art, and as the, you know, the package of cornflakes. You know, you're nothing. You're not doing anything great. It's just packaging, okay, man. That's all it is. Don't get all caught up on it." And I'm like, "No." And he goes, "You know, and no matter how much great the artist, it ain't gonna make a difference if the album stinks or." Or as good or as bad, whatever. And I said, listen, I understand that. I said, I understand that a great record, you know, a back cover, you know, will, will, a great record will, will be great regardless if it's got a, you know, bad cover or, or, or vice versa. A great cover is just not going to make a successful record. But I said, but the bottom line, it, it said, if you get it right, it could pay huge dividends to the band financially and you guys, your bottom line, which is what you're looking about, okay? So here's my example. He said, you know, what great graphics creates or a collaboration between a really good artist and a band, especially if it's sustained over a period of time, like Yes's relationship with Roger Dean, Rush's relationship with Hugh Sign, probably one of the most blatant ones, Iron Maiden's relationship with Derek Riggs. Yeah. You know, it creates a continuity, a sense of vehicle and an aura of the band. Would yes, music have been any more spectacular without Roger Dean's art? No, it wasn't great. But what Roger Dean did, it enhanced that music. All of a sudden, he showed you a version of yes. You know, I, I, I created a world that that music supposedly plays in that you never know existed, and it pulled you to it. Um, you know, you you look at Dark Side of the Moon and that graphic, that prism by Storm Thurgensen, Wish You Were Here, Animals, you know, The Man on Fire. I mean, it's just, you know, if you take the name simply to describe if you, <laughs> you go to somebody who's been from Mars and you go, what's the name of your band? Pink Floyd. You know, that's the stupidest name I've ever heard. If you take the name literally, <laughs> Pink Floyd, it's such a great name. But you hear the music, then it creates a concept in your head. Then you look at the visuals that Storm created, and then the name Pink Floyd takes a completely different meaning. When you think of it, I mean, there are bands that without those visuals may have just faded into the woodwork. I mean, I'm thinking of like a, like like one example would be the, the band Joy Division that came out you know, back in the 70s. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Their their first album, Unknown Pleasures, that album cover is was so understated and brilliant that they've been able to really capitalize on that artwork for the last forty years. Oh. To me, it shows you that there is there is a very powerful connection between the music and the visuals. And whether you see that on stage or in printed materials, that to me it's there's there's no question about the importance of that and the connection between the two. Yeah, I um no, I I, I agree. I, I again, it's about being different, being unique. Uh, for me, the real pleasure 
is to get into the mindset of the band, get to the mindset of an audience. And uh, a, a difference I think that I do have though with Roger Dean or, you know, which I'm more closer to Storm or so on is, Storm um, was able to get into the mindset of the fan base he was dealing with. So he could adjust the style to fit that look. Um, so what I meant was, and that really helped me. I, I'm an illustrator by trade. I'm a fantasy artist primarily. That's great. But I quickly realized in the 80s that no matter how successful I would have become, only maybe a few bands, a couple of bands I would have been able to work for, I wouldn't have a career in the music industry because, well, Rush doesn't want to look like Yes. Yes doesn't want to look like Pink Floyd. Right. And, you know, and, and if you have a look, well, you got to look. That's it. So it's like, you know, I mean, you know, Dean has done some wonderful covers, but it's been within a very specific place. Right. And primarily what he's known for is Yes and H, right? Which is basically more or less members of the same band back and forth. Uh, he's done some other ones here at General Giant. You're right, he's probably most notable. But um, it, it's that thing, you know, they go full and out of fashion. So I was able to, but being a fan of the genre, I was able to adjust. So either I work for a metal band, a progressive band, country rock, southern jam band. It's really funny because I, um, I am different things to different people. You know, the King Crimson crowd knows me as that type of an artist, avant-garde artist. They don't relate to me as the guy who did artwork for the Almond Brothers. They don't know who that, who that guy is. And the metalheads, I, I, which I'm notorious of a following within the prog metal community, only know me for that stuff. They sort of know about my other work but they really don't key in on it, right? They only know me for all the stuff for, for Ingrid Malmsteen and Fate's Warning and, and, and Sepultura and Dream Theater and all that kind of stuff, you know? And uh, Slaughter and Warrant and, and, and so on. Uh, so it's always, to me, it's, it, it's always cool to tap into, uh, you know, that genre and, and just get lost in that world of that fan base and, 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 and create graphics that only relate to them. And it's it's a real cool trip, man. So, so I have to ask you, you know, of of all the the things that you've done, all the projects that you've been a part of, is is there one where you that you can say that was my best work? I really couldn't, to be honest with you. I mean, I, there's several that I like, and there was ones that I did that I thought they were okay, that turned out to be, you know, massive fans' opinions down the line. And there were ones that I thought I was going to do a great job. I thought that was that was the cat's meow. And then look back years later, I was like, oh, that wasn't that great, was it? <laughs> you know, whatever. I, you know, it's just, uh, they each one have a, like, a little place in my heart for them. They filled the purpose. They did what they did. I'm amazed at the popularity of some of them. Um, one of the ones that, I mean, I just sold the uh, one of the originals for one, one of them for, you know, quite a massive sum of money now because they sell my originals, signed prints and so on. Um, and it's, it, you know, it's, it's, it's a metal band that only, you know, fan, obscure fan bases follow, which is, you know, Fate's Warning. You know, mm -hmm. they, you know, they're a prog metal band. Uh, they were the things and so on. But that, that cover that I did for Awaken the Guardian has become like the holy grail for prog metal fans. I mean, that is like the, the cover. It's like an, Metal Hammer's Tepton Best, always number one or number two best metal cover of time. It's held in like as a regard as 
Derek Riggs are, or, you know, or Hugh Symes. And I'm just, I'm just blown away constantly. Fans buy prints by the droves of that and so on. And I constantly asked about this. Uh, Uriah Heep, the first album cover they did for them, which was uh, uh, Wake the Sleeper. Uh, that's massive response I got from that. Um, uh, and, 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 and so on, you know. Uh, it, it's just, uh, each one was just a, an adventure. And I, you know, you're sort of doing so. Well, the Allman Brothers, obviously. I, I, right. I, I guess if I had to say, if you had to force me and put my finger on this, what is the most iconic piece you've ever done? Uh, again, completely by accident, how it all came about is the Allman Brothers album cover. I had no idea that was going to be their very last official album that they did, you know, with Dickie Betts, you know, the official band. And then, you know, Dickie left and they managed to get something out more or less, you know, 15 years later, but it didn't really matter. They never, you know, they just toured. And that has become the, the image. I mean, they've, they, uh, they had backdrops behind them and images, and posters and prints and stuff have been offered re- ridiculous amount of money for the original. Uh, I saw a ton <laughs> of stuff on it. Um, and I've seen that people send me pictures of their of the tattooed on their bodies and motorcycles <laughs> with it on and uh, and so on. And it's just it was such a per, it was such a personal time in my life. Did that it was, was happening. My little daughter had just been born. I have even pictures and she's 28 years old now. I have pictures of my my old daughter playing with the paints and putting it on the canvas when she was a year old. I was painting it. Um, it was, and it all was such a, a happy accident. It all occurred, and uh, and it began a relationship with the Allman Brothers that lasted, you know, two decades, so quite a while until you know we I lost Butch Drugs, right. which was my best friend of the band. Well, Giannis, I got to tell you, it's it's been a real pleasure to talk to you. I know uh, the uh, the events at the uh, Music Room in West Yarmouth. Friday and Saturday night. They sound like they're going to be really, really cool. And I appreciate the time today. Uh, unbelievable. Fantastic. If you do make it out there, show up. Welcome. I'd love to see you. <laughs> <laughs> have a nice little gift for you if you want. <laughs> you know, if awesome. I, I, I could tease you if you want to come on up. But if you do, let me know. We'll set you up and it'll be a really kind of a cool thing. I really thoroughly enjoyed this, man. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Appreciate it. You know, hopefully we'll talk again. Again, you can check out Giannis and his work. It'll be at the Music Room Gallery in West Yarmouth, Massachusetts, this Friday and Saturday, January 28th and 29th. To find out more, go to musicroomcapecod.com for all the details. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, feel free to like it, review it, share it, tell all your friends. You can reach me at baxatrock102.com. I'd love to know what you think. And thanks again for listening to Baxi's Musical Podcast.